Welcome to Wildwood College Life of Wildwood Community Church in Norman, Oklahoma. We are four following Jesus together to the glory of God. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9.45 for Bible teaching, breakfast, and fellowship, and would love to see you there this week. Follow us on Instagram at Wildwood College for more information. And with that, let's dive into this week's message. Good morning. If I haven't had a chance to meet you before, my name is Mike Beckham. I've been going to Wildwood with my wife for 20 years at this point, 20-something years, which is really crazy. Uh, in addition to getting to, to talk here, uh, I just started uh, being a part of the elder team here. And so Wildwood's been a huge part of my life at this point for quite a long time. Uh, but if you know anything about my story, you know that my life was really radically changed in college by God. Uh, about halfway through college, I became a believer in Christ, and it transformed uh, my life completely. And I'm so excited to be talking about what we're talking about this morning. I, I told Kevin that when I picked uh, the time that I would, I would speak, I looked more at date. I didn't look at the actual content, but then when I saw what we were talking about this morning, I got especially excited because I actually talk about this subject all the time. I, if there's it's as close to a life theme as I think uh, you can get. And so I'm excited to discuss it with you this morning. What we're talking about in this series is when, when we make the decision to be in Christ, it is this seismic, transformative event where to the very foundations of our identity, things get changed. And today we're going to talk about uh, how our identity changes because we become stewards when we place our faith in Christ. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. And we're going to start actually in the book of Romans. And I'm going to show you a couple of verses. You know, Paul will do a lot of this in Romans. He'll kind of be making a point and then he'll kind of give an aside or he'll give some examples maybe. And then he'll come back around and you know he's coming back around to kind of the punchline when he says, therefore, right? Because of everything I just said, this. And this is actually, I think, one idea that's separated by four chapters in Romans. So in chapter 8, Paul says this. Paul says, He did not spare, he, God, did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So what Paul is saying here is, we learned a lot about the character and nature of God with what happened at the cross, right? We learned that God, who has everything, he has all power, he's all-knowing, he holds everything in his hands, and yet he was willing to lay down the most valuable thing that he had in the person of Jesus to go to the cross. Why? For us. That is a picture of the immeasurable generosity that God possesses, right? And, and then Paul says, if God is that generous with you, what is he going to be withholding? You know, what can we not go to him with in prayer? What can we not ask him for? Obviously, we have an outrageously generous God. Several chapters later, I think Paul gives the punchline to the Romans 8 verse when he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, 
in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul says simply, in light of a God who is so outrageously and wonderfully generous with us, not only do we know a lot more about him, but we know the inevitable and the natural and the right response that we can give back to him for those that are in Christ, for those that have identity in him. And that is to simply mirror and mimic that kind of stewardship and that kind of generosity. In fact, what Paul really is saying is, it is impossible, it is inconceivable that we could look at the cross, that we could understand the gospel to a point that our hearts would say, yes, I want that, and, and that that transforms us, and then we would say, but I'm going to be closed-handed with my life, and I'm going to do with it what I want to do. These two things just don't even make sense. They, they don't go together. They're incompatible. So, the point that I want to start with is that God calls us to something we'll call stewardship. And we're going we're gonna to unpack that a little bit. Stewardship is simply the idea that you have been entrusted with things that are temporarily in your possession, and stewardship is how you manage those things. Okay? And that the Christian life is in large part about stewardship. It is about how we take the things that God has entrusted to us and how we manage those and how we reflect who God is and his character and the reality of the gospel with how we manage those things. The most important thing that you hear is that God went first. Everything the New Testament will say about the idea of stewardship comes within the understanding that God does not call us to anything that he has not already walked out through the person of Jesus. And this is also one of the reasons why stewardship is so powerful. Because not only is stewardship us following after Christ and the life that he lived, and following after the heart of God, but it is also us pointing to God. It's revealing who God is. So stewardship is the idea that we lay down everything in our life for the benefit of others and to reflect who God is. In Matthew 6, 19 through 24, Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the many things he says is this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's interesting, if we look at Scripture, 
money is mentioned more than almost anything else. And that begs the question, why? Why is that? I think one of the reasons is because money points directly at stewardship, which is, which is at the very center of the bullseye of how God wants to be at work in our life. But I think there's another reason that's closely related, which is money is a great proxy for control, right? There have been surveys of you know, people 12 to 18 saying, what do you want the most in life or what are your biggest dreams? And, and the most common responses are fame or to be rich, right? Why? Why do we want to be rich? And the idea is that r being rich will give me control. The ability to do what I want to do, to buy what I want to buy, to act the way that I want to act. So the Bible actually talks pretty extensively about money. And Jesus is making a really simple point every time he talks about money that I think we're going to be able to take and draw some larger conclusions about our lives. And that is that how we view the resources that we have will deeply impact our connection with God. He makes the point at the end of that passage in Matthew that you can only serve one master and that in a very real sense, we can have the things that we have been entrusted with become our master to the exclusion of being able to follow God, to where we hear their voice and not the voice of God. So today, what we are really wanting to get at is how do we become the type of people, because we have identity in Christ, that actually hear the voice of God, actually reflect who God is, and don't get entangled by this danger. To take the point a little bit further, what is the greatest compliment that Jesus can possibly give you at the end of your life? Scripture actually gives us the answer to this. That the most affirming thing that Jesus can say to us when he sees us on the other side of death is something like this. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. That as believers, what we would hope if you have a relationship with Christ, what, what I would hope, what you would hope, is that at the end of it all, as we look back on it with God, that God would say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been, what you were entrusted with, you managed well and generously. God calls us not just to be stewards, but he calls us to be good stewards, calls us to be excellent stewards, to generously and wisely manage the resources and the things he's entrusted to us. And the question is, why does God so badly want to use stewardship? Why is this such an important part of what God wants to do in your life and in my life? And the answer is that God uses contrast to teach us. And that when it comes to the area of stewardship, this is one of the areas where you will be, if you live out a biblical worldview, you will be more different than the people around you than in almost any other area. Right? So, God wants to use this to point 
to him and point to the gospel. If you think about it, the story of the gospel is a story of grace and a story of how the way that God is a steward is so different than the way that we are. And it's the thing that pierces our heart and transforms us and draws us to him is when we realize how generous he is. And when we are good stewards, what it does is it's like we're little mirrors that reflect that to a broken world, that gives them a glimpse of what that looks like, not just in the person of Jesus, but in everyday life in a way that's accessible and that's understandable. As I said, the highest praise in Scripture is given to those who've been excellent stewards during their life on earth. I want to take this opportunity to address what I think would be my first objection that I would be, would be running through my mind if I was hearing this. And that is, I'm just a college student. I haven't really been entrusted with that much, right? Does anybody here feel like they've just been entrusted with a ton of money right now? Probably not. Or very few of us, right? So it's like, well, I'm just a college student. I haven't really been entrusted. It's great, Mike, for you to talk about that. Okay, maybe you've been entrusted with a lot. Stewardship makes a lot of sense. But what about me? Like, I'm just a college student. What am, what am I really entrusted with? And I want to make a couple of points that I think are profoundly helpful for exactly where you are today. Here's the first one. In another passage where Jesus is talking about stewardship, he tells this story, or he, actually he's, he's observing people giving money to the temple. And Luke r- recalls what happens. It says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts in the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. So at the temple, there's kind of like a, you know, drop box, I don't know, there's a place where you put in your money. And lots of people would make a big show of like, oh, I've got to drag my big, you know, sack of whatever coins, and I've got to put it in the treasury. And, and people would watch this happen, right? It's kind of like if you did the offering plate, but everybody was watching. And they're watching this, and as they're watching this, Jesus and his disciples, there's this woman who drops in these two little bitty, you know, coins that are like, you know, like pennies, basically. And he's like, hey, she actually gave more than all of them. And what was the reason that he gives? Because for her, that was laying down sacrificially and how much that she gave in a way that it wasn't true for everybody else that had been giving up until that point that they had watched. And so here's the point that Jesus is trying to make. In God's economy, it is not about size or magnitude. It's about faithfulness. The world, one of the big ways that the world thinks about things is it's all about what do people see? What is the perception? How big is it? In God's economy, it's all about what is the heart and what is the faithfulness and what is the spirit and what is the extent of your capability that you exhausted. And that's what makes this widow remarkable, is that this widow is actually demonstrating truly generous stewardship in a way that no one before her had. So excellence is actually judged by posture and not by magnitude. So here's the first thing I'd say, because we are right now talking about money. It doesn't matter how much money you have. 
Whether or not you are a good steward is all about how you manage the money that you do have, right? Whatever amount that is. Whatever amount that you've been entrusted with, you can be an excellent steward. But it's a choice. The cop-out that we want to believe is that me being an excellent steward is all about the magnitude, but that's not the way that God views it. But I want to take it further, and this is where we're going to get really challenging, okay? And really practical. In 1 Timothy 6-7, Paul makes a very simple point. When you were born, how many of you had a wallet on you? How many of you were, you know, had a handbag? How many of you were wearing clothing, right? Or had a gold chain on? Hopefully none of you, right? Paul says, we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Sure, we can build tombs that are really ornate and have lots of things in them. I mean, like the Egyptians built pyramids for their pharaohs when they died and they threw a bunch of stuff in there. But what can we take with us? Nothing. You come in with nothing and you and I, all of us, will leave with nothing. What's my point? My point is, the idea of ownership is a myth anyway. You and I do not own anything. Ownership is a myth that we love because it speaks to our ability to control, and yet it is just that. It is a story that we tell ourselves that is not actually true. Anything, anything that you or I have right now is temporary in nature, and within a few decades will no longer belong to us. It will either be dust or it will be in the possession of someone else, but it won't be ours anymore, right? And this is really the point that the Bible makes. Everything you have is a temporary entrustment from God, and you get the opportunity during your life to choose how you're going to steward that. The way this gets intensely practical is what this means is stewardship is about more than just our money. Stewardship is everything, everything that you and I have been entrusted with. It is your looks, it is your time, it is your abilities, it is your relationships, it is your social media accounts, it is your skills, it is your body, it is your possessions. It is your reputation, it is your resume, it is everything. And that stewardship is really about us having accuracy and understanding everything I've got. Everything is temporary. Everything is something that God has entrusted to me and that he wants me, because I am in Christ, to hold that with open hands, generous, open, sacrificial posture, posture that Jesus held his life with. So I am talking to a room full of college students, and yet you have been entrusted with so much. I could just go down the list. Time. You are, if you were in your 20s, statistically, you are a time millionaire. You have more than a million minutes left in your life. Some of you won't, but most of you will, right? You are all richer, most likely, than I am in time. 
when you think about abilities, we used to say this when I worked with crew, uh, if you are a college student, you are a part of, part of the powerful percent. One percent of the world's population goes to college. You have more education and more abilities than 99% of the world just by the simple fact, I know this, that you are at the University of Oklahoma. Relationships. How many relationships do you have? For most of human history, you might have, I don't know, 10 or 20 relationships. You might live on a farm. Nobody even lives close to you. You are intensely relationally connected, right? How many relationships do you have? Dozens? Hundreds? Social media. God has entrusted you with the ability, whether you have 50 followers or 5,000 followers, to be able to communicate and broadcast thoughts and feelings and emotions via this, this amazing digital medium and influence other people. Isn't that amazing? But also it's something he's entrusted you with. So easy to be like, my social media accounts, it's mine. It belongs to me, it's for me, right? But what if it wasn't? What if it was just another thing that God had entrusted you with? Or skills. Everybody in this room has skills, things that they're really gifted at. It could be tennis, it could be your penmanship, it could be your ability to speak publicly. It could be your body. Again, we tend to view this as my body is mine. It's for me, and it's for doing what I want to do with it. But what if it wasn't? What if that was something that was given to you by God and, and that he wanted you to reflect the gospel with how you looked at it and treated it? our possessions, our reputation. And that one, now we're really getting close to home. Man, that I could be sacrificial with and generous with my reputation? Well, that's a painful idea. I just come back to the word again, sacrificial. Jesus and his love and the gospel is at its core and in its essence, it is sacrificial in nature. So I want to spend a few minutes talking about how do we put this in action? How do we practically apply this? Because I think that this is one of the more intensely practical things that we can talk about. And I want to share some examples for myself. First, I think it's good to take stock. How has God entrusted you with things in your life? What has he entrusted you with? And undoubtedly, you would say, well, there's some areas where he, you know, quite frankly, hasn't really entrusted me with, with that much, right? Like, I want to be an excellent steward with money, but I mean, I'm like, I'm literally living week to week. There's not much. It's like, okay, that's good to know. It's, it's good to know where are the areas where he really has entrusted you with a lot. In every area, we want to be generous, we want to be sacrificial, and we want to be excellent. But also, each of you has areas where you've been entrusted with more, and it's good to be self-aware of what those areas are, right? Because for sure, that is a, a sign of one of the ways that God wants to work through your life. So for me, that's looked different at different stages. As many of you know, I was a missionary when I was 22 to 30, basically. Worked with students at OU, and I raised my salary, and I did not have, we did not have a lot of extra resources. 
first year Heather and I were married, we lived in the cheapest place you could live in, Norman. And a couple of things I would say. I, I had a lot more time at that point. We didn't have kids. And so I found that part of me being engaged in stewardship was how do I use the free time that I have to pour into students? So there's a lot more of me going up to the huff you know, and playing basketball with people so that I could meet people, believers and non-believers, and, and invest in them. And I had more opportunities to have people over to my house, and I could stay later on campus, maybe for the extra opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. Um, so I was able to lean more into time. But another point that I would make is, even in the areas where I did not have as much, and money was certainly one of those areas, I still wanted to ask myself, how do I challenge myself in this area? So a good example during that period, even though we didn't have much money, was anytime I went to lunch with a student, I tried to buy their meal. And believe it or not, buying like a $5 Taco Bueno meal was really felt like a sacrifice at that point in my life, right? And it's easy from the outside to look at that and be like, that's not that big of a deal. But it was a big deal in my heart, and that's the point. Because part of what, part of what God wants to do with stewardship is he wants to work in your heart. And so it doesn't even matter what it looks like to other people. What it matters is at a heart level, at a motivation level, is it sacrificial for you? So the first thing I would say is, it's good to take stock of where are the areas that God has entrusted me with much. Second, contrast. When I look at the things that I've been entrusted with, how does the world typically use those things? How do I see people within the pages of scripture and within the local church and within other believers, how do I see them using those differently? Here's a really simple example with me. Um, one of my skills is public speaking. I could certainly use public speaking to make more money, right? That's not how I use public speaking. I use, in fact, I have a rule that I will not accept money to speak publicly, even though people offer it to me, because I want to use that gift in exactly situations like this. My rule is that I only want to publicly speak if I'm giving it away, right? That's countercultural. That's not the way the world works. We could go down the list. How does the world use social media, right? Self-promotion is generally the answer. And for a long time, I stayed away from social media, but then I realized God has entrusted me with this amazing tool, and it can be used different. And so what I said is, I'm going to do social media, but I'm going to use it to give away knowledge and skills and encouragement. I'm not going to be getting snarky. I'm not going to be putting out sarcasm. I'm, tr I'm going to try and not put out self-promotion, and I'm going to try and use that platform differently. Obviously, this can apply to things like our money. I mean, everybody views their money. The world views money as you want to get money so you can buy things for yourself so you can be happy. And as believers, we have this amazing opportunity to think differently about money. That my money is this incredible opportunity to reflect the heart of God through giving and through other things that stands in stark contrast to the world. Third, how can I exercise faith in this area? Here's the, the most 
challenging question. What are your sacred cows? What are the things in your life that you most intensely want to call mine? I cannot answer this question for you. Only you can answer this question for yourself. But I can tell you this. Whatever those things are, are where God wants to work the most intensely in your life. Because those are the areas where you're most disbelieving of the gospel, most likely. What are the things that I'm holding with clenched fists instead of open hands? And how can I increase my trust and reliance on God by stewarding these areas of my life generously, by viewing them as things I've been entrusted with and that do not belong to me? How can I open up my hands in these areas of my life? And like I said, most likely the answer to that is not going to be amazing and other people might not even notice, but your heart sure will. And it will be transformative. Faith is about taking steps towards what God calls us to, even when they're difficult, even when on a heart level sometimes they don't make any sense and how God shows up in those moments. What are the areas that God is pointing out to you? This is what God does in us, what stewardship does in us. And then finally, communicate why. This is what God does through us. Because you know what happens when we're different? The world notices. For as much as society and the world can often stand in condemnation of our faith, they can never be critical of generosity. They can never be critical of selflessness because these things are always worthy of praise. And when we do them, we have this very powerful opportunity to tell people, do you know why I treat my money differently? Do you know why I don't view my money as just for buying me stuff? It's because Jesus, I feel like Jesus laid down his life for me and I love laying down my money for him. We're able to take those opportunities and point to the gospel. And that is one of the most powerful ways that we can talk about who Jesus is in today's culture. Okay, I'm going to leave you with a couple questions. What's an area of your life where God has entrusted you with a lot of resources? Second, what's an example of a way that you've seen a believer steward their resources well? Where you've, you have been caught off guard watching someone else steward well and it's pointed you towards the gospel and then finally how can you exercise faith in the area of your life where you've been entrusted with much over the next month okay